0: right, if you've got a Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 22, Uh, Luke chapter 22. Uh, What a great morning it has already been Um, getting to know these folks and getting to baptize them. uh, It's kind of like just the, you know, the the, the tip of the iceberg of um, the joy that you get to see when you when you watch people. Uh, go from, from life to death or people who've been a believer for a long time, um, but have kind of come back into growing in the faith. It is a, it is one of, is my favorite thing, uh, about what I, I, do. It's just a great thing. So great time we've already had this morning. Like I said, we're going to be in Luke 22, but if you are a covenant member here at Providence, uh, I want to talk to you real quick about a couple of things. Um, I talked about this last week to give you the heads up, but as you know, we changed our, Uh, constitution this past summer, um, voted a new constitution in, and it will take effect January the first. And one of the major changes with this new church constitution is our leadership structure um, that we will be moving to an elder led um, uh, leadership structure. And so what that means is that we will have vocational elders or pastors. Those are interchangeable words. um, John and Chad and myself. And then we will also have lay or non-vocational um, elders or pastors that help. They come alongside of us and help us to shepherd and lead and guide you. Um, and so that was changed. It goes into effect this coming January. And so we've been at work identifying uh, because the Constitution, looking at Scripture where Scripture talks about elders appointing elders, the Constitution reflects that and says, hey, our current elders will appoint new elders, and then those will need to be um, approved by the congregation. So we've been hard at work identifying, examining potential elders for the future through lots of prayer, lots of conversation. And through that process, um, there's been two men that have seemed to be the men that God has for us. And I have no doubt that we'll add uh, men to the elder board in the months and the years to come. But for right now, there's two men that have kind of risen up that seem to be the ones that God has for us at this time. And so as the first part of congregational affirmation of that, uh, we presented this to the advisory council just to see what they thought about it. And the advisory council was unanimously um, and um, just vigorously in favor of these two men. So it is my joy along with uh, John and Chad to recommend to you and set these men before you for the next four weeks for you to think through and pray for and pray for their families because it will be a big shift for their families as well. But Steve Qualls, so Steve if you'll stand up because not everybody knows who Steve is. And Jeff Shaver is in the back, so Jeff you'll stand up. And so we're putting these two men out to you for the, like four weeks ahead of when we vote so that, like I said, you can pray for them. You guys can be seated um, so that you can pray for them and pray for their families because it is going to be a big shift for them. Um, one of the things that they will bear in a new way will be some spiritual attacks because they are shepherds. They will be shepherds of of you. Um, and so be praying for them, be praying for their families, but also we've set those men out in front of you for the next four weeks so that if there's something according to 1st Timothy 3, Titus 1 or 1st Peter 5 that we've missed that would disqualify them from this office, that you would come and let either myself or John or Chad know. All right. If you would let us know about those things um, so we can you know, take this seriously. But barring that, anything unforeseen, which I don't expect to happen, we've done a pretty thorough job of knowing them and watching them and being around them for a long, long time. Um, barring that, in early December, I expect us to have the chance to vote for them and then receive them, um, using Ephesians 4 language here, as the gifts that God is given to this church to help shepherd and lead and guide you. And so, super excited about that. Um, So be praying for them. Be preparing for that. Um, Got so much going on in our church um, that is just exciting and wonderful. So continue to pray for that as well. Just that God would further that and He would continue that um, as we just together ever increasingly seek to worship and enjoy God And lead others to do the same. That's why we exist as individuals. That's why we exist as a covenant body. And so, with that said, Luke 22. This is going to be on page 882 in the Bibles around you. Please grab it. We're going to read a ton of Scripture this morning. So please open up that Bible if you don't have one with you to page 882. The reason we're going to read so much Scripture this morning is because where we're at in our trek through the Gospel of Luke is, I mean, we're getting to the end. So we're getting right. I mean, next week we'll be talking about the cross. We'll be talking about the actual crucifixion of Jesus. So we are right there. We're looking at the Jesus under trial this week. But what happens a lot of times when we, um, you know, go through a little piece by a little piece by a little piece by a little piece, and we dive in so deep into it, sometimes we, we can't see like the flow of what's going on and the speed And the rhythm of how it's all flowing out. So I want us to kind of read all that to get us up to speed on what's going on, and then out of this trial, we'll come back and we're just going to look at two major truths that I feel like are pretty that are just really highlighted through the trials. Two things about Jesus that are really highlighted through uh, these this kangaroo court that they put him through right before they kill him as a common criminal. And so let's start reading in Luke chapter 22, verse 39. We'll read through 23 25. So, page 882, and the Bible's around you. Luke 22, starting in verse 39. This is right after the Lord's Supper. Okay, so the Lord's Supper has happened, the Last Supper has happened. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if You are willing, remove this cup from Me. Talking about the cup of God's wrath that's coming upon Him because of our sins. Nevertheless, not My will, but Yours be done. And there appeared to Him an angel from heaven strengthening Him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd. And the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Now, this is not some guy being like, I'm trying to get his ear. All right, The helmets they wore had a curve right here. This is Peter taking that sword and trying to chop the dude's head in half. Hits the thing. and deflects off and takes his ear off. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. And then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple and the, and the elders who had come out against him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. And they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was falling at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And then a servant girl, and we talked about this last week, seeing him as he sat in the light, looked closely at him and said, this man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted saying, certainly this man also was with them, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed and the ward turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, You will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now, the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept saying, kept asking him, Prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. When day came, all right, so Friday morning the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, chief priests and scribes. Right, This is the whole Sanhedrin, if you've ever heard that word. That's what they're talking about. All these folks. And they led him away to their council and they said, if you are the Christ, now underline that word for me, okay? I don't care if you've got the black card back, still underline that word for me. If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the son of man, underline that word, son of man. But from now on, the son of man shall be seated on the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, are you the son of God then? Underline that, son of God. And he's the son of God then. And he said to them. You say that I am. Then they said, what further testimony do we need? We have, heard it our, we have heard it ourselves from his own lips. This You say that I am is probably a pretty well understood idiom of the time. Basically saying, yep, and you said so yourselves. And then the whole company, chapter 23, then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, we have found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, underline that, a king, underline that. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews, underline that? And he answered him, you've said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, he stirs up the people teaching throughout all Judea from Galilee, even to this place. And when Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. Herod is a half Jew puppet ruler um, in Galilee. The Romans, he's just a puppet. He sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before this they had been in enmity with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. And so this custom at this time, what Pilate had been doing is whenever there was the feast of Passover, he would release one prisoner to them of their choice. And so here he's, you know, there's this guy named Barabbas who had started an insurrection, started an uprising, had murdered someone. So basically, he's a terrorist. And so they're saying, take Jesus away. Give us Barabbas. Verse 20, Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. A third time, he said to them, why? Why? What evil has He done? I have found in Him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release Him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that He should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. And so that's the flow. That's what's going on. Jesus has been been betrayed. He's been arrested by the religious establishment of the day. They would have loved to have been judge, jury, and executioner, but the right to exercise capital punishment had been taken from them by the occupying Romans. And so they had to take Jesus to Pilate in order for an a sentence of execution to come down. And so they take him to Pilate and thus began one of the most, or well, probably the most infamous trial in history. And it's just this weird, twisted thing that began before Pilate, the careerist Roman politician, then goes over to Herod, this puppet half-Jew ruler, and then comes back to Pilate and where though Pilate declares him innocent three times... Verses 4, verses 14, and verses 22. He gives in to the wishes of the frenzied crowd and has Jesus executed. And so that's the way it it went down. That's the, that's the, even if you step outside the Bible in, in other sources, that's the historical chronology. They line up in how this went down. This is the historical chronology of Jesus' own trial. All right. But within that chronology, of Jesus all right who is not make sure you don't he is not a passive bystander in this just things happening to him he is carrying this out according to all that has been prophesied about him he upholds the word the 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 universe in by the word of his power it's in his hands he is active in this so he's not just a passive bystander he is having this go and roll out the way He wants it to roll out. And so within that, within this historical chronology, Jesus works it to just again hammer home to those in attendance there and to us as readers today and over the last 2,000 years who have read His Word, just to hammer home exactly a crystal clear picture of who He is and what He came to do. And so those are just the two truths I'm going to camp out on this morning. Who He is and what He came to do. Okay, The person and the work of Jesus. And so let me show you these two things. And we'll start with number one in your notes. Understand who Jesus is. All right, Number one, understand who Jesus is. And so remember those words that I told you to underline? Words like Christ, the Son of Man, the Son of God, King, This is who Jesus is. And Jesus was using this occasion of His trial to just hammer these facts home. And so let's look at these titles for just a moment. They're claims to deity. That's why He gets killed. And the first one we see is Christ. So chapter 2, verse 67, the Sanhedrin asked Him, if you are the Christ, tell us. Now, the Greek word Christ... And the Hebrew word Messiah are the same thing. Right? They mean the same thing. It's like cheese and queso. Right? One's English, one's Spanish, but they're the same thing. Right? That's what we've got going on here with Christ and Messiah. And what it literally means is the Anointed One. Right? The Anointed One. And so Jesus is the long-promised, long-awaited, anointed One, Messiah, Christ of God. And the book of Luke leaves no doubt that Jesus is the Christ. It uses that term as a noun, as a title, 25 times. So, I won't won't do them all, but for example, we'll hit a few of them. We can go back. It's almost Christmas time, so we can just go Christmas time for a minute. Luke chapter 1, Gabriel announcing to Mary, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call His name Jesus. He will be great, and He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Jesus would be the Messiah because only the Messiah could sit on David's throne and be the king. And when Jesus was born, the angels said to the shepherds, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Then when Mary and Joseph take Jesus to the temple to dedicate Him, this happens. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so when he sees Jesus, this old man picks him up in his arms and starts running around. I can die now. I can die now. I can die now. I've seen the Christ. So it's this amazing picture. that when we do a baby dedication, if you try that, you're getting tased. <laughs> but this was a legit thing. I mean, he, this is how it, he had been promised this, and he see my eyes have seen the Lord. When John the Baptist baptized Jesus, he clearly saw him as the Christ. When Jesus asked Peter, "Who do you say that I am?" Peter says, "You are the Christ of God." And so just over and over and over, the book of Luke exudes this messianic identity of Jesus. He is the Christ. But the Sanhedrin refused to see it. So when they ask him, verse 67, if you are the Christ, tell us, Jesus just ups the ante on them, not just a little bit, but hugely, and says, If I tell you you will not believe, and if I ask you will not answer, but from now on, The Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And so Jesus is like, listen, not only am I the Christ, I am a Christ that you have never expected because I am also, Daniel 7, the Son of Man. And that term, Son of Man, this is Jesus' favorite self-designation. Across the Gospels, He uses it of Himself 81 times. Right, 81 times. And it's a name that comes, like I said, from Daniel chapter 7. And here's what Daniel chapter 7 says. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, this is God the Father, and was presented before him, and to him the Son of Man, Jesus, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And His kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. And so when Jesus shows up saying that He is the Son of Man and then says it right here to the Sanhedrin's face, there's no doubt what He's claiming. And so that's why they say to Him, verse 70, are you the Son of God then? And this is our third divine title. And then he says, you say that I am, which again is like a well, probably a well understood idiom of the day that means yes, absolutely. And you just said it yourselves. And so verse 71 then, then they said, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. And we see in other gospel accounts how they start going nuts and how they start ripping their robes and they start shouting death to this man. Blasphemer! He's claiming to be God. And they are absolutely right. He is. Because He is. He is the Son of God. And so like Messiah and like Son of Man, this is all over the Gospels. Luke 1.31, again, Gabriel talking to Mary. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. At Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit dep- descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Twice During Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, the devil tempted him to create, um, was trying to tempt, was trying to create doubt in him by saying, if you are the son of God, da, 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 da. And at the transfiguration, as Jesus was enveloped in the Shekinah glory, a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, Christ. Listen to him. And so here's the reality about Jesus. We need to believe in the real Jesus of Scripture and history. Not in some fake Jesus, some puppet Jesus, some Jesus made and created in our image. One preacher put it, people can have a great enthusiasm for Jesus. It's happened sometimes. But the Jesus they're excited about is not the real biblical Jesus. It may be a morally exemplary Jesus or a socialist Jesus or a capitalist Jesus or a Republican Jesus or a Democrat Jesus or a white racist Jesus or a revolutionary liberationist Jesus or a countercultural cool Jesus or a prosperity gospel Jesus. But not the whole Jesus who in the end came to give his life as a ransom for sinners. And so if your enthusiasm for Jesus is for a Jesus you have crafted in your own image to fit your own ends, you're not worshiping the real Jesus. And you are the blasphemer. And this happens everywhere. These fake and false Jesuses remade to say and think and do what people in the prevailing culture of the day want Him to say and think and do. But then there's the real Jesus, the Christ, the Son of Man, the Son of God. Not yet, not just a, another prophet, and not just another rabbi, and not just another wonder worker. He's the Son of David, and he's Abraham's chosen seed. The one to deliver us from captivity. The goal of the Mosaic law. Yahweh in the flesh. The one to establish God's reign and rule. The Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. The one who came to heal the sick. Give sight to the blind. Freedom to the prisoners. And proclaim good news to the poor the One who is the Creator, come to earth, fulfilling the promises, reversing the curse. He is our Lord and He is our God. He is the Father's Son. He is the second person of the Trinity. He's is the Savior of the world. He's is the substitute for our sins who died on a cross on a Friday and walked out of the grave on a Sunday. That's the real Jesus. You need to understand who He is. And you need to understand who He claimed He was. Because this is who He claimed He was. And so, pulling that down and putting, you know, just kind of drawing a line in the sand as Jesus wants us to draw a line in the sand with this, what this means is that he cannot be just a good moral teacher. He cannot be. Because he claims to be God over and over and over and over. All right? Good teachers don't claim to be God, that makes them a bad teacher. Just FYI, my kids go to Mill Creek. If one of their teachers suddenly writes home a note, uh, hey, I'm God. That's a problem. And I am getting them out of that school. That They are not a good... Mor- I'm not going to say, you know what? They're a good moral teacher. They're nice. They do good things. They help people. Yeah, they claim to be God, but no, that makes them a bad, bad person. Something's wrong. And so, as C.S. Lewis has so famously pointed out, there's really only three conclusions we can come to as it relates to Jesus. One is that he is just a liar and he knew he was lying. Another is that he's a lunatic and he didn't realize he was lying. He truly thought this, but Lord help him. He just, you know, he had mental health issues. Or he's Lord. He is who He says He is. So those are the three options we have to wrestle with. Liar, Lord, lunatic. But don't be saying He's a good moral teacher. He does not give us that option. And so even here in the midst of this kangaroo court, He's hammering this home. That He is the Christ. That He is the Son of Man. That He is the Son of God. And so number one, understand who Jesus is he's hammering it home from his trials and then the second thing that's hammered home through his trials is understanding what Jesus came to do all right he hammers that home and i don't think it could be made any more clear than what we see in the end of this section that we've got this morning and so look at 23 chapter 23 verse 13 with me again Barabbas, and just that last line in verse 25, he released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, but delivered Jesus over to their will. Here's the truth that is on display right here with Barabbas. Jesus, an innocent man, dies so that a rebel and insurrectionist can go free. That's the Gospel. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to save Sinners. And here's the deal. That's us. We are sinners. All of us. No one in here is clean. No one in here is guiltless. No one in here is sinless. We are all sinners. We sin by the things we do and we sin by the things that we don't do. Omission. We have sins of omission. We have sins of commission. We are all sinners. All of us in the same boat. We're the rebels. We're the insurrectionists. We've rebelled against the king of the universe. We think that we would make a better God for our lives than he would. And so we do what we want, when we want, how we want and forget you. And in our rebellion, we've broken everything. That's why the world is so in such disarray. That's why people shoot up concerts and shoot up churches. This is why there's greed and this is why there's violence and this is why there's warfare and this is why there's narcissism and racism and sexism and sexual harassment and rape and murder and envy and jealousy and self-righteousness and pride and human trafficking. We could go on and on and on with this. this we are broken through and through. I mean, have you ever done something in your own life where, you know, you, you did this and afterwards you're like, why? Why did I do that? Sin. And outside of Christ, we are slaves to it. And because sin is evil and wicked. God, who is infinitely good and holy and loving, must and does hate evil, wickedness and sin. If he didn't, if he didn't hate it, he wouldn't be good. He wouldn't be holy. He wouldn't be loving. It is not loving to overlook injustice and brutality and wickedness and evil. And so God absolutely will judge and punish us for our sin. So that's our predicament. That's where we're at. I want you to feel the weight of that. We. We are the rebels. We are the insurrectionists. We deserve judgment and damnation. And yet Jesus, the Christ the Son of Man, the Son of God, left the glories of heaven and came to earth to die in our place for our sins as our substitute. So do you see this? This Jesus, an innocent man, dies so that rebels like me and like you and like Barabbas could be set free. This is what He came to do. Knowing. I mean, Think about your own life. Just you shut your eyes for just a second. You don't go to sleep. Listen to me. Knowing full well every act of rebellion in your life. Every wayward thought. Every God-belittling moment in your life. Now you can open your eyes for a minute. Jesus still said that one. I love him. I'm going after her. I'm going to rescue him. I'm going to make a way for her. I'm going to call her to myself and I'm going to do that by going to the cross. And on the cross... The Father is going to take all of their sin and He's going to place it on me and I'm going to die in their place for their sin and then all of my righteousness and my perfect life and my holiness is going to be given to them. It's going to be imputed. It's going to be put on. They're going to be clothed with my righteousness and then they can stand free before God the Father. Not on the basis of anything that they do, but only on the basis of what Christ has done. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And then for those who receive this free gift through repentance and faith, not only are you forgiven and given eternal life, even as we're talking about this morning with it being Adoption Sunday, you are adopted into God's family. And now He loves you and dotes on you as a perfect, loving Father. And you can come to Him in prayer babbling on and on and on, and he never has a newspaper up uh, not paying attention. But he turns his face and he gives you full attention. Pulls you up in his lap and listens to you. And loves you as a father. A perfect father. Adopted into his family. How amazing is that? How amazing is that? And so, friends, let that be a warm blanket to you this morning. In Christ, there is forgiveness. And as far as the east is from the west, gone can be your sin through repentance and faith in Him. And in its place comes Christ's own righteousness imputed and given to you such that God now loves you like He loves His Son. And He goes to work in you and He starts tinkering and He starts chiseling and He starts changing you little by little and sometimes He brings a sledgehammer to change you into who He wants you to be. And so get that. Understand that. And let that set you free. Free from your sin. Free from hell. Free from a shallow, circumstantial-based Happiness. And even for the believer, free from ever wondering if God loves you and is for you. Because Jesus, the Christ, the Son of Man, the Son of God, went to the cross for you. So understand that truth. And let the truth set you free from all these little puny things. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your salvation that You give freely and openly to anyone who will receive it. We thank You for how You have given this salvation to Emma and Andrew and Eric and how they had a chance to display that today. Lord. Whether that happened recently in the last few months or whether that happened years ago. But there is a moment in time where You take us from spiritual death to spiritual life. And though we may not be able to know when that moment is, it happens. And so Father, I praise You for that moment in my life when You did that. And Father, I pray that for anyone in here that say who has not trusted in You as their Savior, that they would have heard the words of Emma and Andrew And Eric. And what You've done in their lives. And how You, Father, gave Your only Son that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life and that they would turn to You this day and receive that. For those in this room who are believers, I pray that we'll be reminded and our affections stirred And and rekindled at the grace that the King of the universe would save us and love us in spite of ourselves. It's such grace. We love you, God. Thank you so much. In Christ's name. Amen.